Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. With me this week is Kim Rael, co-founder and CEO of Azuka. Thank you very much for joining me today, Kim. Great to be here. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter uh, to make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. Kim, I always like to start simple. I hear that you're a startup maven. What was it that brought you to cannabis? <laughs> I would never use that word, but it's funny. Um, you know, I have been doing startups for a very long time, and I I love startups. Um, but uh, most of my experience was in tech and finance. So I was a, a co-founder of an advanced energy startup. Um, I was a venture capitalist investing in tech startups for a very long time. And uh, there came a point in my career where uh, I was pivoting out of tech and finance and loved startups, wanted to stay involved in the startup world, but wanted to get out of tech and into something in the wellness sector. So it was really my passion for wellness broadly defined um, that I was kind of looking around, listening to the world, um, turning over some rocks and um, cannabis came and kind of grabbed me from behind and said, you really need to come do this. And it was kind of a funny story because I was introduced to Ron Silver, who's the um, original inventor and founder. He's the chef who is behind the formulations that have become now Azuka Time Infusion, which is this really cool thing that I'll talk more about, I'm sure. Um, but Ron was had invented this cool cannabis formulation, and he's a creative, he's an artist, he's a chef was looking for um, a partner to be, you know, to be CEO and launch the thing as a business. And so I was introduced to Ron and kind of the rest is just kind of history. What was it about that, you know, the interaction with Ron where you realized it was going to be a good fit? Um, you know, it was the, it was the product. It was, um, I, was not a cannabis consumer at the time, you know, like a few times in, you know, college, whatever, but it wasn't my thing. Uh, I didn't understand it. I was, I was in that category of bought that Nancy Reagan, just say no propaganda hook, line and sinker. I was, I was that mom. <laughs> um, and I was kind of talked into being in a focus group and sampling Ron's product, which at that time it was, a cannabis infused sugar. And I was actually afraid to even try it. So I'm kind of, I represent that consumer that, um, that we serve really well with our formulations, which is, you know, make cannabis friendly and approachable and understandable. Right. Um, so a friend of mine said, now you, you should be in this focus group. You should try this. So I agreed to try it. I put some of Ron's infused sugar in a cup of coffee one Sunday morning and um, went for a walk. And I was immediately converted. Um, the effect was incredible. It was very nice. Uh, my my drug of choice at that time was red wine. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I actually don't consume alcohol at all anymore. And to me, it was it was 
you know, a little bit similar to wine, kind of take the edge off, but in a much more uplifting way, right? Alcohol is a depressant. It, it's, you know, it didn't have any of that effect, but kind of just lifted up my day. And I, I immediately knew that this product, this formulation, this plant was going to be helpful to people, right? Um, so it was the product first and the, you know, getting my head wrapped around the cannabis plant and the miraculous plant that it is, um, as opposed to what I grew up with, which was the demonization of cannabis. Um, so I, I often tell people I went from, you know, the anti-cannabis, actually afraid of it, literally afraid of it, to ugh, like uh, skeptical, but but maybe to, you know, curious to like, oh my word, like I've been an idiot. I've been, I've been, um, you know, a victim of this propaganda war all my life. You know, I'm in, I'm in my late fifties. So, um, you know, I got involved in the industry in my early fifties to all the way in, you know, mm -hmm. to a, a real enthusiast for, uh, not only cannabis, but, uh, plant medicine broadly defined and, um, I just absolutely love it. So I agreed with Ron to uh, I, actually, it's a kind of a funny story because originally I'm like, I, I will agree to pretend to be CEO for 90 days. Okay. Pretend to be CEO. I will pretend to be CEO. And there was a reason for that. Like, you know, I'd been in some business partnerships that didn't work out so well. Right. You get into these business relationships and um you know, I wanted to see who Ron really was as a person. So I said, after 90 days, you know, um, if things aren't working, you know, we, we call it off. No harm, no foul. You don't owe me a dime. You don't owe me any equity. You go on with your invention, find a better CEO. Because I really wanted to take some time to get to know Ron, get to know his character, his integrity. Um, and in 90 days, I was... Um, absolutely in love with the whole, all of the ideas of what we could do as a partnership and with this invention uh, and be helpful to people and be creative um, and really create, uh, be part of the creation of a new, um, a movement, a, an industry. Uh, so that that's sort of the, the origin story of me and Ron Silver. Did Sometimes they call you? it the odd couple of cannabis, you know, because we are so, cannabis. you know, <laughs> The odd couple of cannabis, right? You remember, I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember the old sitcom because um, we're, you know, we're yin and yang. We're very different. And it's just, it's one of those partnerships that because we're so different, it works really, really well. Okay. So who's the Felix? Who's the what? Is is oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar and Felix. Yeah. Uh, Ron is the crazy creative. You know, I am the, you know, uh, I, I'm the MBA. And uh, I'm the structure. Um, I have a little artistic gene myself, but in this role, it's like, I got to be, you know. Um, and, and Ron is the creative. I mean, he's this wonderful, um, you know, lover of cannabis and passionate about using these um, very friendly, approachable, understandable, ingestible products to help people. Did it take 90 days for you to solidify your role as CEO? In the first 90 days, I was trying to figure out, first of all, I was doing my due diligence on cannabis, the plant, what can we do with this? Um, 
And then how do you create a business? What's a business model that will work? Because we're going to have to go raise investor capital, right? We didn't raise a lot of money, but we raised a little bit of money uh, to get launched. And so I had to, I spent that time trying to build a business case in in my own mind, and then something that we could articulate to to investors. And, you know, we had the classic um, dilemma in cannabis, which is how do you scale when we're still in this ecosystem where you can't move product across state or country lines. You know, that just makes no sense, right? I've, I've been involved in dozens and dozens of startups. They've never had a, a weird constraint like that. And then you add 280E on there and that's just absolute insanity, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the business obstacles are unlike any I've ever seen right, in my career. So, so I spent that first 90 days really trying to figure out and start to be able to describe a business model. So we've got this invention. How do you create a business model around that invention that um, is sustainable? And that's one of the problems we see in cannabis today, right? We see a lot of fallout in the industry of, of businesses, some that raised a tremendous amount of capital that are, you know, that haven't been able to sometimes, you know, because of these ecosystem constraints to build a sustainable business. So after you did your due diligence, what did you come up with? What is your idea of a successful business model with this product and cannabis? Sure. Um, so what we came up with, and we have certainly iterated on this um, a number of times since our first launch in 2018, um, is a a business model that is it's really about focusing on what we can be best in the world at as a company. And what we can be best in the world at is um, designing these, what I call advanced formulations. So we're in this subsector of cannabis. Some people call it emulsion technology. Some people call it, you know, nano. I don't use that term at all. I don't think it means anything, but I call this segment advanced formulations and what we can be best at the in the world at is is taking the active molecules from the miraculous cannabis plant and transforming those molecules into ingredients that are both easy for the human body to intake and metabolize so you get fast acting predictable edibles as a consumer and also very easy and scalable for brands and manufacturers to make in a cost-effective way. So that's, that's what we can be best in the world at in the world at. And we, we defined a business model where we license our intellectual property. So we really look a little bit like a biotech company. We license our intellectual property to brands and manufacturers uh, all over the country uh, in a a couple of uh, countries beyond the U S now Um, and growing there. We license the IP and the formulations. And then as part of that license agreement, we sell a non-infused precursor ingredient, which is called activator. So we now have a family of activators, depending on your product form. And we sell that activator to to our customers. And that's it. There's no royalties. There's no, you know, big licensing fees. There's none of that. All we do is sell a product um, in a package on a pay-as-you-go basis to customers who want to make the best ingestible cannabis on the planet. So we help them make their brands better. 
before you came to cannabis, you said you were in the tech world. What was your greatest hit or your favorite startup that you were a part of? Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, I would say it was my, uh, it, it was my venture capital firm, which was a startup that funded other startups, but we were a startup that VC team. So we, you know, we got a team together, we raised uh, three different investment funds, and we invested in dozens of other tech companies. So that was super fun. Um, okay. Because we got to be involved in, you know, dozens of companies work with dozens of entrepreneurs, every day was different. Um, and that's what I love about startups. I think that's why I love cannabis so much, right? Because there are no two days that are the same. Um, there's there's always some new twist and turn. And y- you just have to constantly be scanning the ecosystem, talking to customers and partners. Um, so I, I love a little bit of chaos. I think chaos is opportunity. So Well, I think yeah. you're going to get plenty of chaos in cannabis. And as you mentioned that what was it? The, in, uh, the insanity of the business. Um, how, what has the adjustment been like for you? Just because we hear a lot about uh, people coming from outside the industry, um, especially in the C-suites and uh, kind of coming into it. And sometimes they struggle. Sometimes they're able to kind of like rein it in and really give focus and direction. Were you almost chased off or like scared off by the insanity of the business? I'd have to say no. I'd okay. have to say with like what once once I got the hook mm-hmm. and and once I re-educated myself on the history, like why was this plant why did I have this negative? Why why did I believe the stigma? Once I did my research on the history and understood all of the falsehoods that had created that stigma in my brain. I was all in, right? Mm-hmm. And and all in on trying to um be a voice to other people who had also taken all of that propaganda at face value. I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, it was it was crazy. I my um my then uh teenage daughter, um about two years before I joined the industry, she was in high school. She, you know, she knows I tell the story all the time. She got caught on a school trip. The kids had a joint. They were passing it around, whatever. They all got in trouble, full investigation, call the parents, the whole nine yards. Um, and I was so furious at her that, you know, she got her school consequences. And when she got home, she got punished by her mother. Uh, and her punishment was to write a 5,000 word essay on the evils of cannabis oh, for me. Oh, oh. Yeah. Two years later, same mother is CEO of a cannabis company and said daughter is then, you know, a young adult. And and she's like, who are you and what did you do with my mother? <laughs> but I mean, that's how that's how ingrained I was in that wrong thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. I was ingrained in wrong thinking. And so um, and, and I think one of one of the ways I can be an asset in in the industry is because I came into it with that perspective, right? And I can, and I've, I I actually do this fairly often, right? I, I, I can bring people on that journey who are still there and I can t- talk them through like, um, you know, how did this fairly straight-laced, you know, MBA end up doing this crazy cannabis thing? Well, and that's a, that's a story I can tell and I'm very enthusiastic to share, 
to bring other people through kind of to the other side of of that you know that darkness that that so many of us grew up with around the plant so how'd you grade the essay <laughs> you know um i think i checked the box and said don't ever do that <laughs> <laughs> right did she over the course of the essay just like, you know what, I tried reading or writing about the evils of this plant, but the more I've looked into it, it turns out it's actually it's actually quite good. That's exactly what happened, actually. Really? She's like, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what happened. She's like, you know, she's like, mom, all this stuff is just like, it's, it's BS. It's not, you know. <laughs> so we had that conversation even at that time about, you know, this is, I don't think she used the word propaganda, but that, that's the word I use now because I just... You know, I still see the Nancy Reagan ad, right? From when I was, what, nine years old. Yeah. No, uh, for me, it's still uh, fighting against that dare t-shirt, you know, Uh, that initial reaction um, that is just ingrained in you until, you know, for lack of a better term, you see the light. Um, So I want to talk about the technology, too, because... The technology has the uh, potential to be a huge disruptor in edibles, beverages, and other infused products. Uh, Talk a little bit more about, so it's the activator product and how, because you're essentially a high-end ingredient manufacturer, right? Yes, exactly. Um, So activator for everything except chocolate is, is a liquid. It comes in a, you know, we ship it out to our customers in a lovely, you know, bottle and again this is non-infused it's a precursor and uh, if you were a gummy manufacturer um we would ship we would ship this to you you would take your distillate or your other concentrate you can use live resin live rosin uh, rso we've tested um pretty much every extract and concentrate that you would want to use you take that activator and you combine it according to our SOPs with um, your active input, which is how we scale across state lines, right? We don't ever ship, we don't, we don't manufacture THC products. We manufacture the non-infused precursor. Um, and then what you do, what you end up with is, um, you know, think of this tennis ball as a, a THC molecule. It's an oil molecule. It's hard to work with as a manufacturer because. THC distillates like tree sap, right? It sticks to everything. It's hard to measure. So what our process does is it takes that oil molecule and it encapsulates it like in a hydrophilic coating, kind of like this insulated little tea glass. And that hydrophilic coating um, of that single molecule is what makes our products so easy for the human body to absorb. So this encapsulated molecule because it's hydrophilic or water-friendly water seeking um, and our bodies are over 60% water. So when you ingest it, it's absorbed in the soft tissues. It reaches your endocannabinoid receptors very quickly um, without breaking down into 11 hydroxy THC, right? This is still Delta nine THC, which is what gives you the smoker's high, the euphoric effect. Um, So this hits your bloodstream in five to 15 minutes and you experience the effects very quickly. Um, and it's more of a euphoric smoker's high in an edible product. So um, it solves all of those problems for consumers. So it's fast acting. It tastes great. We don't use any surfactants or weird, weird stuff in our ingredients. 
um, and it's a predictable experience, right? Mm -hmm. So it solves those problems for consumers. And then if you're a manufacturer, um, it solves a couple of problems too. Uh, one is this process takes care of the stickiness, right? So you don't have distillate sticking to everything in your kitchen. Okay. So your um, your active ingredient loss in your cooking process is actually improved. Meaning if you, you know, traditionally are losing 20% of your distillate by the time you calculate the end of it, just because it's sticking to spatulas and, and dishes and stuff, um, this process can save up to, um, in one study, 65% of the manufacturing waste of active distillate. So, wow. um, so, so yeah, it's kind of that really nice combination of benefits for the consumer who is consuming the cannabis and the manufacturer who's, who's making the products by using this time infusion process. How is it differ from a nano emulsion? So to me, the word nano emulsion means so many things. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. Um, people use that term, um, I think, very loosely in the industry, and we don't use it at all. So the the term we use is molecular encapsulation. So individual molecular encapsulation. Okay. Is it is it that that's what other people are trying to do and just misusing the term, in your opinion? I think it's a little hard to tell because I, other players in this segment, uh, it's a very opaque segment, right? There's a lot of, we're all intellectual property players. We're all very, you know, we, we guard our intellectual property. So it's hard for me to have an opinion about what, you know, another player is actually doing. So I, I can speak about what we're doing. Um, yeah. I will tell you, we don't use any weird equipment. Um, we use a, you know, a, a, a mixer that is about the size of a laptop in your kitchen. So no weird equipment. We can train a kitchen crew in a couple of hours to do the emulsion. You literally, you know, put the activator and the active in our mixer and you push one button and you walk away and it's, it's done in an hour. And then you oh. put that in your, in your process. So it's very, it's, we've taken years and years of experimentation and development and made it that simple for our, for our, our manufacturing partners at the brand level. Well, and I think it also probably makes the ROI, ROI pretty simple to calculate as well. I mean, just on the savings when it comes to waste reduction. Correct. Do you know what the, what is the ROI? You know, um, I, I guess it depends on what someone's existing manufacturing process is because everybody is a little different. And um, I think... You know, my experience, different manufacturers have a somewhat wide range of, um, of kind of specificity in how they're doing it and how they're actually measuring things like transfer loss today. So I would say there's no, there's no one magic number in terms of ROI. I've done some calculations. We have a new formulation um, called whole plant activator right? Which is um, an activator that you use instead of using distillate or lye resin, lye resin, you actually use flour. Mm -hmm. Use flour in our activator and you get an infused ingredient that is a fast acting, great tasting cannabinoid that can go straight into an edible. Now um, with that one, there's about a 400% ROI compared to, you know, using traditional concentrates because you don't, you don't have to, 
to go through the extraction process. Right. So how does it work? You just put the whole flour in the mixer with the activator and the end ingredient is used for edibles? Yep. It's great. Oh. And it, 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 um, we just launched this a couple months ago. Um, it's called whole plant activator. And if you, it, what's amazing about this is, is you, you take flour and you, you know, you measure your cannabinoid and terpene profile of your flour. You, you put it into our process, you know, our activator, and then you measure the output there and you have retained the cannabinoid profile of the flower into the fast acting ingredient. Um, and then that goes into your gummy and it's very, um, the technical capability to do things like measure terpene profile in a gummy final form, that is still a pretty immature, um, capability in the industry. Uh, but we are now testing for that full terpene profile of the flower in the gummy. So what you end up with is an edible form of cannabis that finally delivers the benefit of the whole flower, the full inflorescence of the flower in this fast acting edible form. Yeah. It's sort of whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, but by launching that whole activator, are you rendering your other products obsolete? Well, um, I don't think so, but I would happily uh, move them into obsolescence if everybody wanted to move in the direction. I think there still will be demand for making edibles out of concentrates, you know, distillates yeah. and, and slide rosins. Um, but it's really a whole nother level of thinking about cannabis edibles, right? And, and you know, when we give samples of these strain specific, we, we've been making them into um, strain specific gummies, just, you know, in-house for, for testing. Um, it is, it is striking the, the way the plant becomes this really um, delicious edible. So for example, one of the first ones I tried um, using just, cannabis flour in our process uh, in an unflavored gummy recipe. So no other, no other flavoring added. I, I could have sworn there was pineapple flavor added. Like okay. you can actually, the, the actual flavors of the cannabis plant are um, present in a, in a very pleasant way. Um, sometimes I say these, these gummies, these whole plant gummies, um, taste the way a really good grow smells, right? When you just get that, ah, uh, you know, to, to take that and translate it into um, an edible that is delicious. It sounds so weird. It, it really does, but it is true. It is, um, it's really powerful. You have a different solution for chocolate. Um, how is it different from the other activators? So um, all of the activators have water as an ingredient and you can't put water into tempering chocolate. So if you're making a chocolate product that is a tempered chocolate, you would use our chocolate activator because there's no water and it It goes directly into your tempering process. Um, So very easy to use, but just because chocolate is, we can't touch water. If you're making a chocolate product that has like a ganache in it where there is liquid that goes into the filling, you can use one of the other activators. But if it's just like you're making a chocolate bar, um, you would want to use the chocolate activator to make your chocolate fast acting. Why is it important to have chef ready ingredients that can take effect within five to 15 minutes? 
Well, I think the, the main reason for consumers, right, is to have a predictable, enjoyable experience every time. Fast acting, predictable onset and offset, great taste, right? Um, and the main thing for manufacturers is to have a repeatable, reliable, cost-effective, scalable manufacturing solution that if I'm a brand in Colorado and I want to scale to New York and New Jersey, I can I can scale my brand in any state um, using the solution. And that that's a big differentiator between us and some of our competitors in this space where they have to do the emulsion. They have to do they have to handle your active. So, um, you know, they'll come on site with specialized equipment, they'll run a big batch for you, and then they disappear. That's not our business model. We empower our customers, our partners to do the um, infusion themselves at whatever demand they have, and we don't have to touch it. So they have full control over their process soup to nuts. Do you have an understanding of what share of the market you guys currently have? You know, that's a great question. Uh, if there's anybody from BDSA or New Frontier Data listening, uh, I'm on a soapbox to get this category tracked. Uh, right now, there is no, um, there, there's nobody that I found anyway that's tracking this advanced formulation segment or even that's tracking um, product SKUs for for fast acting, which is just one attribute, right? Um, so, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't have that data. I'd love to have that data. I'd pay for that data. If BDSA is. We will make sure to cut this specific spot out and we will tag them on all, all the social media. <laughs> That's right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, but yeah, so one of the things that I would add to that is, you know, we started, we did our first, our first launch in 2018. And at that time, you know, most edibles were what I call traditional edibles, right? They were the slow onset. They were the, you know, get converted into 11 hydroxy in your liver. And, you know, part of my, uh, my frame of the industry was that over time, um, traditional edibles were dead, right? That consumers wouldn't put up with slow onset because they didn't have to. And at that time, when we first launched, um, there were very few SKUs that had a fast acting claim, even on the labels. Um, you know, I tried the ones I could get my hands on and many of them were actually not fast acting or they just tasted awful. Um, and what I see now in, you know, in the field, and again, this would be a great project for BDSA or New Frontier, um, is, you know, if I go out in the field, I'd say a third of the SKUs now have some kind of fast onset claim, right? Mm-hmm. Um so where my head is at is, you know, that trend's going to continue just like I like to use the analogy of dial up internet, right? You know, we were all around, well, not all, but you and I were probably around when it was dial up internet, right? You oh, know, yeah. we would never use dial up internet today. Um, we use broadband. And why would we put up with something slow and unpredictable and painful when we don't have to? And I think that the edibles category is is in the process of that conversion. I think we're about 30% of the way there where manufacturers are like, oh yeah, I need to do I need to do something about onset. Um, so what we've done is we've raised the stakes, right? So from where I sit, um fast acting to me right now is table stakes. If if your edible is not fast acting, 
you're not winning. You're not, you're not going to win in this category. And we're, we're focused now on, in addition to fast acting and great tasting, right? Those two are table stakes. What are the effects? And our edibles give consumers that euphoric Delta nine effect that, you know, um, that smokers high in an edible form, as opposed to the, you know, couch locky effect of traditional edibles. So I'm looking for better and better, you know, consumer experience and, um, again, like fast acting table stakes, let's, let's do even more. Let's deliver something even better to consumers. Is there something on the label or how would we know which products are being made with your technology as an ingredient? Sure. Um, so products with our ingredient actually have our, um, Azuka or Azuka time infusion on their label or on their ingredient panel, it'll say it's a good time infusion. Um, so we have a, we have a co-branding model. We, you know, what we deliver is a, a value add, a premium ingredient that consumers are starting to recognize. And so we put that front and center, um, our partners put that front and center on their labels. What markets are you the most prevalent in right now? Oh, wow. We are in, um, I think close to 20 states now. Uh, you know, Canada, Puerto Rico, um, we're expanding into South America now looking at, looking at Europe. Um, I think we have the most SKUs in Massachusetts, um, but I'd okay. actually have, um, are you yeah, in, probably in Massachusetts right now. Okay. Are you in Illinois? We are in Illinois. All right. Well, good. Cause I'm in Madison, Wisconsin and I'm close to Illinois. That's the only reason I'm here. Interested. <laughs> We, we are in Illinois. I'll, I'll send you, uh, I'll send you where to, where to look for us. Excellent. That would be excellent. Um, in your opinion, do you see generation Z being the last generation with unpredictable edibles? hundred percent. Right. Because of what I said before, like you, Gen Z will also never do use dial up internet. True. Luck, lucky them. <laughs> Unless it becomes like weirdly hip somehow. I understand that. Uh, yeah, that's hard to imagine. That's hard to imagine. I, I gave a talk once that I actually played that old sound from like, and, you know, to, to make the point about how painful that was. Mm -hmm. Quite jarring. Um, I mean, it's, you know, uh, so Gen Z will be able to tell their, their children, you know, back in my day, we didn't know what we were really getting into when we bit into that chocolate bar. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, you have mentioned the flavor profile quite a bit. Are there any issues with taste or flavoring products that um, use your technology? No, one of the things that's interesting um, about this process, right, is is this encapsulation process also naturally um, just masks the acrid taste of a distillate. Right. So you, you end up with a very pleasant, um, a very pleasant tasting product. Okay. Um, and also is, uh, we, oh, we don't use surfactants in, you know, in the, the activator for these edibles. So um, there are other companies again, in this advanced formulation segment that have to use surfactants and then you have to use bitter blockers to block the bitterness. So you end up with this ingredient panel that's got all kinds of stuff on it that you don't necessarily really want in your product. So no bitter blockers, no surfactants. Um, 
but kind of the natural um, taking the edge off of the the bitterness of the cannabis extract. No, I think that's really important for people to understand because of all the technology that's gone in to take that that bitterness out. Um, I also like the idea of strain-specific gummies um, and how that could potentially change or like maybe veer off course from some of the, I guess, naturally flavored gummies that we see out there that maybe aren't as natural. Right. Now, and I, I think that this is going to be a whole new category in the edible industry is, is this, this trend and also this desire on the part of the, the more sophisticated cannabis consumers, right. To mm-hmm. really get closer to the plan. So, you know, the can of curious will like your, your, you know, your, introductory fast acting gummy will be a great product, but someone who really um, understands the cannabis plant like you do, right. will appreciate the strain specific effects of, you know, the strain versus that strain. And it's not only the effects it's, they actually have different flavors. It's kind of like fine wine, right. Where you can really um, come to enjoy the cannabis plant at a whole, in a whole new way, mm-hmm. whole new way. Well, and maybe even bring some of those cannabis connoisseurs over to edibles where they've sort of remained in the flower category because of that, I guess, like uh, idea or belief that that's the closest to the plant. You're spot on there. And, and it also enables those consumers to enjoy the cannabis plant in you know venues and settings where it's where you can't smoke or it's impractical to smoke. Right. So. Um, it just opens up a whole new uh, range of experiences, I think, for those consumers. In terms of opening up new experiences, what are, in your opinion, what are the challenges when it comes to social consumption? And how does this new technology look to undo that? You know, I, I'm an optimist and I really look forward to the day where, you know, my adult, children and grandchildren can walk into a venue and order a cannabis cocktail and their friend next to them orders, you know, their Chardonnay. Right. Mm-hmm. And that there will be more choices at retail for social consumption of cannabis plant. But, you know, we're not there yet. Our regulatory frame for social consumption is like, it's still in the dark ages, um, frankly, but what we can do is we can, we can create tools to normalize that experience. So one of my my favorite things is we have a we have a cocktail kit, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can use um, we make a fast acting cannabis infused simple syrup. Oh yeah, there we go. I do have like looks kind of like that. Um, and every mixologist on the planet knows what to do with a simple syrup, right? It's in every mm-hmm. cocktail on the planet. We actually made a a cool little. Um, set of some fun, you know, we've got the Time Collins, which is our brand. We've got the Huracana, the Bud Slide. So we've made all these fun, you know, cannabis cocktail recipes using one ingredient. So either at home, you can have a party at home with cannabis cocktails. Um, I'm headed to Minnesota in a couple of days to, you know, get my feet on the ground there because I think they're really doing some um leading um leading edge stuff around cannabis beverages and social consumption in minnesota so i want to get out there and really experience it firsthand 
um, in the next few days. So I, I see this as coming. Um, and I think that, um, you know, Gen Z, I think our, our children's generations are, are frankly going to be smarter than our generation was about things like alcohol, right? Mm. You know, about consuming ethanol on a regular basis for fun. It's really, yeah. You know, so well, I, I see a lot of changes. I, I, I may be a few years ahead of, you know, where the regulatory frame and the market is, but I see it coming. And I'm very excited about that, the normalization of cannabis beverages for social consumption. Well, I'm excited to hear about what you find in Minnesota as well, because I've heard the same thing. And Minnesota, with the way they wrote those rules, really opened the door to potential venues like stadiums and other places to have sort of like almost a temporary license to be able to sell cannabis cocktails. And uh, no, I'm really interested to see what you find there. Cool. We'll talk. We'll talk next week. <laughs> um, uh, you'd mentioned the time Collins. Uh, so I want to make sure I have this right. So time, that is the technology, right? The thermodynamic individual molecular encapsulation. That's an acronym for the actual process. Yeah, that's the, that's the tennis ball in the cup is time. You got right. it. Got do it. You, do you have in your uh, list of cocktails there, do you have a personal favorite? You know, my personal favorite is the Nito Mojito. Okay. I love the Mojito. It is just like so refreshing and like think of mint and um, lime and seltzer and, and cannabis. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. Great on a hot day. What has been, so you had the RTD activator launched in June. Um, as you have launched these products and brought them to market, what has been the response? Yeah, we found people are very, very excited about this business model that empowers the manufacturers to control their destiny, right? So um, that I think is is the thing that puts our solutions um, ahead of our competitors from a manufacturing perspective. And then, you know, the consumer experience of like this euphoric Delta 9 tastes great, you know, clean label, the combination of those two has been really well received. Have you had any difficulties bringing it to market? You know, I I think like every startup, you you have to like listen and learn and and pivot. It's funny. Our, I mentioned our first launch was in Massachusetts in 2018, and I was cleaning some files this past weekend, and I actually found um, like when we first started, we were making individual, uh, what is now, you know, this and very easy for our customers to use. We were packaging kind of the first generation of that in single containers for a batch of cookies, a batch of gummies. It it was not scalable, right? You know, mm -hmm. you come out of the, like startups, you come out of the, uh, the starting gates and with, with what you know at the time. So I think that the, the difficulty was in figuring out how to scale this thing in this weird ecosystem, you know, again, we're getting things across state lines. So, so yeah, we, you know, we hit our head up against a lot of walls. I was in the, that first kitchen I was in, in the kitchen myself. I remember like one midnight Sunday night, I was personally calculating all of our batch specific potency results from the third party lab to put on, you know, the labels, which, you know, is a, a regulatory, uh, quagmire right to, to be compliant with all that stuff and and i was going like how can this become a business like i'm this ceo of this company we're trying to get launched and it takes me being in this kitchen at 
you know, 10 o'clock midnight on a Sunday night by myself doing all this math. It was crazy. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, so I think the difficulties have been like taking on this, how do you scale in this industry challenge? Um, that's That's been the hardest thing. And the other thing that's hard right now is when we describe this whole plant activator and this whole plant process, it people often like glaze over like it it's so counter to what we knew know and what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like it makes people like really scratch their heads and go, I, I almost don't believe you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Easy. So that's a little bit of a marketing challenge. Um, you know, and getting getting a new partner to try it, right? Because once you try it, you're like, wow, that that's really interesting. That is really different. Um, so those are, you know, how we all the way back in the past, you know, 2018 seems like a million years ago to me, right? Mm-hmm. Cannabis years, as they say. Um, <laughs> it's true. I've, I've heard that. Um well, as uh, you wouldn't say, but as I've heard, you're startup maven. But are the cannabis hooks in? Are you uh, kind of here indefinitely? Or is this, you know, once you kind of see Azuka up and off the ground, it's on to the next? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I love plant medicine. Mm-hmm. So I don't see my, I, I would never want to go back to tech. I did tech for almost 30 years. Um, and I learned a lot, but I would say I am, you know, plant medicine, like in, in very, there, there are other aspects of that, that I am interested and curious about, but, um, right now I'm all in on this. Finally, you had talked about, uh, the, your personal reeducation ever since you moved to cannabis, who has been the most difficult in your life to re-educate and just kind of uh, help them align with your new way of thinking when it comes to cannabis? Mm. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, You know, the one person that I was close to um, that has since passed, he was kind of my adopted father. He was the father of one of my best friends. And he would just scratch his head and go like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, I can't believe you. (laughs) And uh, so he was very skeptical about the whole cannabis thing. Uh, So I'm not sure I ever quite got him over the line. Um, but I'm sure he's on the other side now cheering me on. Um, but, you know, really the other skeptics, you know, like, you know, my, my, my mom, you know, she's thinks it's really interesting. She now uses CBD every day. Um, and it's very helpful to her. She uses some of our CBD products for arthritis pain, um, and swears by it, absolutely Mm -hmm. swears by it. Uh, so, uh, you know, my husband was a skeptic and he's, he's all in. So, um, you know, I, I think people have come along and I think part of a little bit of that has been, it was such a weird thing for me to do. Like, you know, if if I was doing it, I must, there was a little bit of like, Kim must be onto something. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, or maybe I'm just very persuasive. 
<laughs> Very no, I uh, I think a lot of people, I think almost everybody experiences that um, in the industry at some point, um, where you know you almost wind up kind of defending your actions, um, just because you're still fighting against that Nancy Reagan uh, mentality that all your contemporaries have, and you're just like, but really, just try it. <laughs> You know, I'll tell you, I, I more have the opposite experience now where I'll be in Costco. I'll run into, you know, a friend of mine who's, you know, in their 80s and they're like, will you teach me about cannabis? Because I want to get off of all, you know, these pain meds that the doctor has me on. That is a more common conversation than, you know, Kim, you've lost your mind. Okay. Um, because I, I, yeah, and that that is not uncommon. And I, and I have, you know, a lot of friends who are in their, you know, 70s and 80s who, are, are very interested because they also had a lot of the, you know, brainwashing and they're now wanting options for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for pain and sleep and things that cannabis is lovely for. Well, Kim, I really do appreciate your time and your insight, particularly into Azuka and, you know, the products that you guys are bringing to market. Before we get out of here, is there anything else that you want to make sure the cannabis equipment news audience either knows about yourself or um, Azuka? You know, uh, our most important core value as a company is helpfulness. So I would like uh, anyone who is has any questions about uh, what we're doing or if they're thinking about launching a MIP line, uh, you know, we'll talk to you at any stage in the process, you know, no obligation. So we just want to be helpful. We want to help people understand. We want to help existing brands if they want to have an enhancement to their line. So uh, yeah, I'd like people to know that we really are committed to the value of helpfulness and um, we to reach out. Did you say a MIP line? MIP. Um, what's, yes. What's MIP? Um, manufacturer infused products. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm just, you know, I'm swimming That's in Canada. acronyms sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, do you still have the essay? It's probably somewhere in my garage. Okay. In, in years. I'm just curious. I don't know. I found uh, that was a particularly charming part of the conversation. I'm really, uh, really happy that you shared that story with us. Yes. My, my, my daughter was very amused when mommy joined the cannabis industry and she was vindicated. (laughs) Excellent. Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter and make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. For Kim Rael, co-founder and CEO of Azuka, I'm David Manti. This is the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast.